Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Bolden here. So good to have you here with us for episode 358 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, joining me today, I've got a friend of the program and former guest of the show, Miss Tamson Webster, who is here to talk about the idea of finding your red thread. Now, Tamson brings a ton of experience as a keynote speaker, a business strategist. And so during our conversation, she's going to explain the idea behind this red thread and why it's absolutely essential to your speaking business. Now, as speakers, we all understand the importance of, of finding an audience for our message. And Tamsin's going to take a, take a deeper look at this and explain what it means to find your what you would call your through line for a message. Also, how to determine its viability within the market and strategies to test your ideas with an audience. It's always fun to be with Tamsin, and she's got a ton of great insight to share. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation on finding your red thread within your message with Tamsin Webster. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we are joined by uh, a good friend of the show and the program, Ms. Tamson Webster, who has been on a couple times with us. I think this is your third appearance. I know. It's a three-peat. Uh, there you go. So <laughs> had you all way back when, a couple years ago, episode 118 and 132. Uh, would definitely recommend that you go back, listen to those episodes. Uh, we actually talk a lot about when people are asking about how do I book TED, TEDx uh, stages, what is the differences? Uh, I always refer to your episode. So you've got a lot of expertise there. So we'll tease that out and let people go uh, check that out. So uh, thanks for joining us and being back with us once again. Oh, it's my pleasure. You've got such a great community and I'm delighted that you've chosen to lend them to me once again. Well, we appreciate you being here and you've got a a new book out. We're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about called Find Your Red Thread, Make Your Big Ideas Irresistible. And uh, you've been known and really done a great job really positioning yourself as this 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 idea of the red thread and especially for, yeah. for speakers and, and idea creators. Uh, so first of all, just kind of describe like what what is this idea behind the red thread? Uh, so the red thread is another way to talk about your your message or a, a, a term I prefer, a through line. Like what is the thing that connects what you do? Uh, what is the thing that holds a talk together? Like what's that core message? Um, very specifically, I refer to it as the, the, the story that your brain builds to connect a question to an answer or a problem to solution or an issue to an idea uh, that'll solve it. Our brains do this anyway. Uh, I think we all know that whenever we decide to do or sometimes even not do something, we essentially build ourselves a story, a rationalization, a justification for why we have taken that action or not. Um, And when we do that, our brain, it literally is a story. It, It has very predictable components, just like a story does. And in fact, it's the same components of a story. So, Uh, My idea was like, let's take 
anytime we're trying to explain an idea and let's just essentially pre-populate those pieces of the story that your audience's brain is looking for so that you are helping to use their own story brains to understand your idea, to agree with it, and ultimately to act on it. So where does this even begin? Because I think a lot of times, especially if you are, whether you're a newer speaker or you're working on a talk and you're starting from scratch and you're staring at that blank page and you're like, I got this rough concept in my mind, but yeah. I, I'm having a difficult time articulating it or explaining it to others or, or figuring out what is the through line that kind of hold the glue that holds the talk together. Like, where do you even begin to figure out what that red thread might be for you? Oh, that is exactly why I wrote this book. Uh, if for no other reason than I hate that blank page. <laughs> it's intimidating. I mean, I it's daunting. It. Yeah, it is. Some people love a blank page, like the, the the writers and the kind of the the creative writers, particularly, like seem to just enjoy that openness. And I can't stand it. So I wanted something where I could always say, okay, I, I know I'm technically starting with a blank page, but my blank page always has the shadow of something on it. Um, so where to start? I think when you're trying to figure out what is the idea I'm trying to get across or how do I, how do I get it across more clearly? I think one of the most important things to understand is that the idea, however clear it may or may not be to you, it's even less clear to your audience from mm -hmm. the, from the start, which means to make sure that they understand it, you have to take on their point of view. So the very, very, very first stage to all of this, before you even start working on the message itself, is to decide who is this message. And sometimes it means who are you for? Who is the specific audience for this message? Um, because if you don't know that, then you can't build a story that they would tell themselves because you don't know who they are. So yeah. um, I, I really recommend saying like, who are these people? Who are the people that, that, that you want to speak to? Uh, are they people who, you know, are, and I don't just mean like, you know, women 25 to 34. I mean, you know, what positions are they? Are they skeptics? Are they converts? Like how ready are they to do like just really understanding first and foremost, who your audience is so that you can, do the best that you can to start, start looking at your idea through their eyes. Right. And so even whenever you are, are picking an audience, you know, if you, let's say you've done a little bit of speaking before, you've done a few gigs here and there, you have a rough idea of who you would be speaking to. The longer you're speaking, mm. the more, the, the clearer you're getting on like, okay, I know like I do really well with this type of audience and, and this is kind of their background. And I know these are the questions that they, I get every time I speak. And so you start to frame that, but it, initially you're just kind of making an educated guess and going, yeah, here's who I think this is for. Uh, and the other thing I think that is really challenging is you're, you're trying to find that right balance of, of not going too specific, but not going too vague, you know, and well, my message is for my message yeah. is for women, my message is for humans, my message is for everybody. It's like, yeah, well, it's not, eh. but it's not like, right. even if, even if it could help everyone, here's the distinction. Whenever anybody says, Oh, it's for everyone. Whether you realize it or not, you pretty much mean everybody who sees the world the way that I do, or mm. that is willing to see the world the way that I do. And that, my friends, is not everybody. <laughs> um, but there's another benefit, actually, in focusing more specifically than just women or just everybody. And that is that the, the way I like to put it is that the narrower your focus, the broader your reach and the reason why that's the case is that when you can be very specific about who you're speaking to in an audience, um, that you get a level of clarity around your message that you can't get when you're trying to speak to everybody simultaneously. 
And one of the ways to understand that is one of my favorite quotes of all time. And it's in fact, the, 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 the quote that opens the book um, is from Agatha Christie, who says that words are only the outer clothing of ideas, which I love. So if you, because it, because you can't really see an idea, right. It's a very amorphous thing, but, and the only way to really give it shape that is useful is to put words around it. But if you're trying to, you, but think of it this way, you cannot tailor a garment to fit five people the same way. It's just, it's not going to work. And you end up with, you know, that one size fits most t-shirt, which like it covers them, but it doesn't fit them. And I don't think that's what you want with your message. Like you don't want a message that covers your audience, but does it fit them? Like you really want an audience that fits people. And the good news is that when you tailor your audience for a kind of person in your audience, nine times out of 10, what you get is that the clarity that results is enough that people will recognize that idea, even if it wasn't designed, quote unquote, for them and adopt it for themselves. Yeah. And my favorite example of that is, you know, a fairly famous talk at this point, which is Simon Sinek's, you know, most people refer to it as a start with why talk. It's really the, the talk, the Ted talk that kind of kicked it all off for him. But do you know that, do you like, do you happen to remember the title of that talk? I don't remember the title, was, but I remember it was a, it was a small TEDx talk. Yeah, um, it was a TEDx Puget Sound. And um, if I remember correctly, but the title of the talk is not start with why or why you should start with why it is how great leaders inspire action. Meaning that talk was aimed at leaders of companies and actually leaders with a very specific question, which is how is it that some companies seem to succeed despite all odds? How do they continue to be innovative? Um, And that's not everyone. But the result of him being so clear about who his audience was and crafting that talk for that audience meant that the idea itself became so evident to folks that people were able to go, okay, well, that may not be my situation, but I understand this idea well enough that I'm going to apply it to myself. And so that to me is the, is the kind of the salve to whatever wound that you might have or worry that you might have that you're cutting off too much of an audience because the trade-off is clarity. That means that your conversion of the audience that you are speaking to is going to be much, much higher. So it's, it's almost like this, you're trying to be Goldilocks of, of not too hot, not too cold. You're just trying to be <laughs> yes. just right. And right. so a lot of that means like you're, you're making conscious decisions of I'm, I'm not going to cover this, or I'm going to cut this out, or I'm going to not go that direction and trying to like, I'm trying to be just right for just the right person. So how do you know when you've found it, when you really determine what that, that red thread is? Cause it, mm. it is, it feels like it's this in some ways it feels like it's this constant work in progress that you've never quite arrived and you're always making tweaks and iterations to it. So what, what does that process look like to know, like, aha, I've got it. This, this is my, this is my big idea. Yeah. Uh, Well, you're right that there's this kind of constant choosing. And I think that's where clarity comes from. I think clarity comes from choice. And so in a lot of ways, that's good. The more choices that you make, the, the clearer you're getting about things. Um, and that's also, I think, the answer to this, this evolution of your red thread over time. I mean, the first thing is that, you know, back to Agatha Christie's quote, you're, you're never going to find the way to describe it that's always going to work in every single situation with every kind of audience. Like, that's just, that's not how it goes. Yeah. You can't, but can you find a version that works really, really well with specific audiences in specific contexts in certain ways? 
Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and you know that you found it when it produces the outcomes that you're looking for. So, you know, one of the very first steps that I suggest, in addition to finding, you know, figuring out who your audience is and is, is identifying what is the outcome that will show you that you've been successful with that message. Um, and that's a very tactical answer. I mean, that's the obvious, like measurable answer of like, well, did it produce the outcome you're looking for? But my experience working with folks one-on-one with this is like, it is a, it's a visceral reaction that people have when they, when they find it, when they're like, yes, yes, that's, that's it. That's, you know, when we work even on a, a specific piece or part of the red thread and they're like, that's exactly it. That's the way I think about things. That's the way I want to articulate it. It really, I mean, it sounds a little woo woo and I'm generally not a woo woo person, but there really is, are these moments where just the resonance is so strong for someone about, you know, they really do feel almost physically this, this alignment between what they've been trying to get across, like, uh, you know, the, the ideas, they see it and feel it in their heads, like the alignment becomes strong, uh, strong enough with the words that they're, that it just starts to like vibrate for them. Right. And I, I can, I tell you, it happens, happens every time. And when I'm working with people one-on-one, that's my commitment to them. We're going to work until you get that kind of reaction, because until you've got that kind of reaction, you don't have an idea that you are willing to put the work in for like, mm-hmm. you can, you find a work, you know, an idea that'll, you know, be successful in the marketplace. Yeah. But you know, the people I work with, the ones I choose to work with are, are the ones who I, they're really, they're dedicated to finding it for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a willingness to understand that that's going to shift and change over time. Um, but when it's, but again, back to that, like when you really find that, that resonance with, with an idea, um, you start to see the breadth and the depth of it. And you actually start to realize that that you could, you could dive into aspects of this idea almost forever. Like that's how it feels when you found a really good one. It seems like for, I would assume like for some speakers, that, that visceral reaction of just like, aha, huge light bulb, Eureka, we find it. For some of them, I would assume it could come fairly quickly. For some of them, it may take, you know, days, week, months, you know, yeah. perhaps longer to really get around it. So is it, is it possible to, to overanalyze it and second oh gosh, guess? Yes. Of like, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I would assume like you have moments where you're going back to people like, no, no, like we found stop. it. Like, stop we second guessing, yeah, you know? Yeah, so exactly. is it possible for some speakers to, to just second guess, to doubt and almost end up just um, uh, like, being paralyzed by that, uh, hmm. that analysis to the point that they just do nothing. So what do you do in those situations where you're like, I thought I had it, but maybe I don't. And yeah. I think I do, but uh, uh, what do I do there? The only way to know is to put it out there. I mean, ideas exist. I like to say the ideas exist in the in-between. Um, and the whole point of having an idea is to, is to get it out into the world. Um, and you can't know if you found it until you put it in front of the people you want to put it in front of. Um, and so when people start to get to that point, that's where I basically say, like, could you go try it, go try it, go like, you could try it in a, in a, in a low stakes way, like start writing about it, start talking about it, start socializing that language with people and see what happens, see what people respond to, see what you're excited about. Um, because what the other thing is to realize that there's, that doesn't have to be one aha, like one of the things that I see is that you may have an aha and then you're like, oh, this is it. And then you start to put it out there and you're like, and then you get more. You're like, oh, this is also true. And this is also exciting. Um, 
And, and there are absolutely times when you, you get super excited about something and you go out there and you and people are like, mm. <laughs> I'm not, you know, they're like, ah. and you know, that happens sometimes where you get excited about something, but you put it out there and you're like, okay, this actually isn't working the way that I'm, that I want it to work. But that's a sign then that, that it's, you know, there's something to go back and, and look at. Like, did, did you test it with a, with your people? Because that's the thing I see happen a lot too, where people, they test an idea, but they don't test it with the people for whom the message was designed for. Um, so of course it's not going to feel like it fits. Um, but when there are those times where you've designed a message for a certain group of people and it doesn't work the way that you want it to for them, there's still value there because you get to see what aspects of it they responded to or where was the resistance. And from there, you can double down on like, okay, let's figure this out. Because if an idea is an important, you know, if the idea itself is important to you or the outcome is important enough to you, generally what I find is that people will do that work. And um, because it's, they can't imagine not doing that work. They can't imagine not talking about this. They can't imagine not putting that idea out in the world um, because they know that's potential. And you know, that, I, I say it right in the beginning of the book, that the book is for people whose ideas are bigger than they are, who are so sure that, that, um, that the idea has that power, that they're, that they're willing to do what they need to do to get it out there. Even if it means, you know, in certain cases that might mean that it's, it's, you're not, you don't end up being the one that puts it out there, but I don't know. It's, it's the only way to really know is to test and, and to give yourself more information to analyze. And I'm telling you this as a chronic overthinker, like one of the things that I say on my website, it's an I overthink, so you don't have to, um, you know, and that's true too, because I can also at this point, I mean, I've, you know, after five years of doing this and like, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, um, it's, I can fairly reliably now go like, we haven't found it yet. Like this isn't, or the, you know, I'm concerned that, that you're going to get this kind of reaction on this one. Um, or this is good enough to test. Yeah. Let's go test it. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. So to that end, though, do you feel like this process is something that can be done in isolation or does it have to be done with an outside expert coach voice, someone that knows, knows just the, the idea and what it takes to put together a presentation or a talk or someone that knows you or someone that comes from the audience. Cause it seems like yeah. you, you kind of have to have a, uh, a melding of a couple of different viewpoints there to make it work. Cause the idea of just yeah. going into a cave and like coming out and like, all right, I found it. Like, yeah, but did you, you know, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, as long as you're willing to listen to feedback after you've de- developed it into a cave, it, it de- developed it in a cave, I think absolutely. And what I found is that usually the first time 
it's, it's helpful to, I think it's, I mean, this, I'm all right. Let me also be totally clear that I am very much an external processor. I, I speak to think, uh, and that like my talking things through is how I gain clarity on things. So my strong bias is that, you know, of course, I'd love to think that everybody works that way. I know that not everybody works that way. Um, but what I've seen in my own clients is that once they understand the process and they understand the things to look for, they are perfectly capable of coming up with extraordinarily strong red threads on their own. I think it's it's faster to get yourself up to speed if you're help, you know if you're working with either with you know someone who 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 knows it like me um, or someone who's been through it. But I think you can get equal benefit, honestly, just from talking it through with somebody else, just because the very process of you trying to articulate it and allowing your brain to hear those words, you know, out loud and then back in through your ear holes, um, you know, research shows that you actually hear, you you are able to judge your own words more objectively when you say them out loud. Hmm. Um, And and I think we've all had that experience, right? Where, you know, in our minds, something sounds awesome. And then when we try to actually say it, you're like, that, that doesn't work as well when I say right. it that way. And, and when you're, when you're talking to someone in conversation, just like we have, have been, you naturally will take that feedback and readjust and explain and explain in a different way. And so that's why I think it can be helpful just to, to, to do some of these, uh, some of these steps in exchange or out loud with people. It's part of the reason why the, I think the people enjoy the mastermind that I do with this so much. It's just, it's this ability to talk through somebody, you know, with somebody else who understands it, but it's not necessary. It's the whole reason why I wrote the book was so that you could essentially recreate to the extent, the best extent, extent that I could on the printed page, um, the experience of working with me directly. I mean, I wanted it to feel like this was like your, your little pocket Tamsin right. <laughs> in this book. So I, and I would also assume that this is part of the reason why it's so important to, to build relationships, connect with other speakers over time is that you're able to bounce ideas off of each other. You have a good sense of how does this idea translate from the stage? Uh, and I've heard the idea, I've heard it explained like a, like with comedians, a lot of times when they think of something funny or something f- funny happens, that it's one thing to, you know, tell a friend, it's another thing to tell another comedian and yeah. just kind of a litmus test of if you find this funny, then I know that I can make this work from stage. But if, if I can't make you laugh with this, it's probably going to be hard to get an audience to laugh with this or, to, yeah. or to, to take it in the direction that I really want to. Yeah, I think, and two things there, one, that's a, a, a good thing. And one, one way to use your fellow speaker friends, actual and aspiring, um, particularly the ones that are experienced speakers, it's really useful to just talk it through with them because the experienced speakers will tell you what does or doesn't work in the marketplace based on their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and whether or not, and that's to me is important, whether or not they heard of other people framing that topic that way. That's true. Um, I'm a big fan. I mean, it's, you know, I've spent 25 years in branded message strategy. Like I try really hard for every client that we have found something different about how they speak about something, even if it's, it is my like 63rd leadership speaker client. Um, I want to figure out, well, what's their unique perspective on leadership and how do we ex- you know, accentuate that? So your experienced speaker folks can generally, you know, we generally know what other people are speaking about and how, and I think it's useful to kind of test it and go, have you heard anybody else talk about this this way? 
the caution of speaking to your fellow speaker folks is that it's really hard for people to shed the lens of their own, their own audience and their own, you know, their own message. And so it can be very tempting when somebody hears your message to answer, you know, and give you feedback as if it were a message designed for their audience Mm -hmm. or designed coming from them. And that's one of those places where it's one of the reasons why when you asked it up front, like, you know, and I said, first thing, figure out who your audience is. Um, it's, it's good to take whatever feedback you have through the lens of, okay, I hear what they're saying. And does that apply to the audience I designed this for? Yeah. You know, is this a human objection that people would have? Is this a specific audience objection that somebody would have? Um, but I think that's always, that's an important thing because sometimes the people you ask for feedback from are not your people. I mean, right. they don't, they're not your audience and they don't see the world the way you do. And so the message is not for them. So right. it might not be, it might not work for them. It's like asking your mom for feedback. Your mom's going to be your biggest fan, no matter what. Yeah, She's like, right. this is perfect. You're like, that's but right. is it mom? Yeah, I, is it? I don't, you're not real helpful after all. Mom. Uh, yeah. uh, okay. So let's assume that you've kind of gone through the process. You've whittled it down. You're like, okay, aha. I've had my Eureka moment. I know what my big idea is. Where yeah. do you begin to not only put it together in, in a talk, but create that thread that goes through it. And not just like, you know, I, um, I said it all in the first, first couple minutes and then like, <laughs> I didn't really have anything else to do. Yeah, like, yeah, or, yeah. you know, maybe a question is like, do you even have enough there to build a talk around? Oh, you know, Cause maybe like, oh God, there's, yeah. this is a really cool idea that would make a, a, maybe a great 10 minute Ted talk, but it doesn't make a 60 minute keynote. So how do you start to flesh out the, the, the idea into a, a presentation? Okay. Uh, so, so oh, there's so much good stuff there. <laughs> okay. First, um, the my belief is that uh, the red thread, a red thread, at least constructed the way that I've that I that I write and talk about, hundred um, percent gives you enough information to build a talk on. Like that, that was the whole point. Um, because a lot of times, and I, was, I had this conversation with a client right before we we recorded, was that a lot of times a lot of speakers just stop at problem and solution. Like basically, it's like, hey, you've got this problem. I'm here to tell you about my solution. Here's three ways to put it into play. Woo. And it sounds great. And it can be very entertaining. It can be very motivational. And it can make that person a lot of money. My challenge with it is it doesn't always necessarily mean that the people will actually go do that thing. They may Mm. feel really good about it, but they're not necessarily going to go do that thing afterwards. So my personal bar, and it may not be everybody's, is that you know I want to make sure that I'm not just wowing the crowd. I'm changing the crowd. Like I'm, I'm... doing everything I can to create the conditions where they shift their thinking or behavior about something. Meaning it's not, it's not enough for me that they understand what I'm saying or entertained by what I'm saying. I want them to understand, agree and act on what I'm saying. And that sets for a higher bar. Okay. So take it as, you know, a little bit on faith right now that I built the red thread to create those conditions where someone is likely to make that shift in thinking the way you take those elements of the red thread, think of it like um, the ingredients, think of it like, in, like cooking. Mm-hmm. Each of the elements or the components of the red thread that I talk about in the book, um, which are things like a goal, or the audience's goal, uh, a, a two-part problem of perspective that's getting in the way, a shared belief that creates a moment of truth, which forces a choice that leads to a change with actions that put those into place. Each of those. Okay. Re- hang on. Restate okay. all that. Cause that was really good. <laughs> You're like, okay, wait. All right. So here are the, here are the five elements 
uh, of a red thread. The story begins when we establish something that somebody wants and doesn't yet have. So I call that the goal. And it's always the audience's goal, not your goal as the speaker. It's a, I like to frame it as a question. It's a question that they want an answer to and haven't found a satisfactory answer yet. Right. So it could be something like, how can I act without hesitation? How can I, um, you know, improve my results here, how I do a lot of work with sales teams. How can I improve my probability of success in this conversation? It's a question they're asking right now. They don't have an answer to now, because remember, we're building a story that people will tell themselves. That's how our brains engage with a story. We, we start really leaning into a story. The minute we recognize that thing, Mm -hmm. we recognize that somebody doesn't have a thing that they want. And then we're like, okay, well, what's going to happen here? We know there's a story coming. The next major moment in the story, so the next major element of the red thread is a problem. So in every great story, somebody may have something that they want, but standing in the way of that suddenly becomes some problem that they didn't know about when they started. So um, I like to use Harry Potter because generally people have seen it, but we know that Harry Potter at the beginning of Harry Potter wants to belong somewhere where people love him and appreciate him for who and what he is. We established very quickly that that is not the Dursleys on Privet Drive. Um, and But we want to know what's going to happen. Now, with standing in the way of him like being able to have that thing long-term, do we discover fairly quickly is he who must not be named, Lord Voldemort. Now, in your message, we want to do something very similar because people need to understand A, why is it that they haven't found their answer yet? Because these are smart, capable, good people. And they really want to understand like, okay, what's happening here? Why haven't I figured this out yet? That's really important. Um, And they... (laughs) And generally, what, they, what we need to introduce then is actually the problem they have to solve before they can solve the problem that they know about, right? We have to figure out how to get them to solve a problem they don't know about before they can solve the problem they do know about. So in other words, like, how does Harry solve the problem of Lord Voldemort so he can solve the problem of having a, you know, a family, in this case, a chosen family that really loves him for who he, he is? So we've got in your message, you've got a goal and you have a problem and we can get into that. It's like, I like to think of it as a problem of perspective because generally the reason why someone hasn't solved their problem yet or hasn't answered their question yet, it it isn't necessarily what they're doing. It's how they're looking at the situation. There's something about Mm. how they're looking for that answer. That's actually keeping them from seeing something else to do, right? Like that's actually what's in the way. Third major element. So in every great story, is a moment of truth. Uh, th- there's a Greek word for it, which I adore. It's called the anagnorisis. And it's the moment where the character recognizes the true nature of their circumstances. Um, so in Harry Potter, there's a moment in Harry Potter where he realizes he is, it's him or nobody, right? And he's got to be willing to uh, kind of like lean into what he's now believes about this magical world in order to defeat Lord Voldemort. He has to trust that this mirror works the way that it's going to work and that he can somehow put a stone in his own pocket. Um, it's basically, he understands that he has to be willing to sacrifice himself in order to get everything that he wants. The same thing needs to happen for your audience. Now this, I would have to tell you, Grant, is what the vast majority of all messages, talks, sales messages, marketing messages lack. We're pretty good about establishing something people want. We're pretty good establishing what the real problem is. 
we are not as good as giving, giving people an inarguable reason why they need to do something different. And so really that's what we're looking for with the truth is that we are, we are presenting people usually with some shared belief, something that is true to them about their world, that because it's true, it puts what they want, their goal in jeopardy, as long as they continue to see the world the way they were doing it before. So Hmm. what does that actually mean? I know that's kind of like, woo. Um, my favorite example of this, and we may have talked about this on a previous thing. I don't remember. So f- forgive me if that we're going through here, but my favorite example of a truth statement is the De Beers diamond tagline, a diamond is forever. Mm-hmm. Because if we back up and fill in these pieces of this red thread that I've talked about before, so first a question that the audience is asking for which they haven't found an answer yet. I like to think of this in terms of, you know, for De Beers' audience back in 1947, when they first came up with this tagline, we could frame that audience question as what's the best symbol of this commitment we're making to each other, right? People would want that. We're getting married. We're thinking about buying a ring to symbolize that. Like what's the best ring we can find? Yeah. And that introduces this problem of perspective, because up until 1947, generally people focused on the unbroken circle of metal as the symbol of of forever, a circle with no beginning and no end. I mean, that's a pretty good symbol of forever, right? Strong. It works well. It's strong. It's strong. And a a wedding. Right. But of course, De Beers wanted to sell diamonds. So they were kind of like, well, if they're only looking at the metal, they are not paying attention to the diamonds. So they wanted to introduce this new perspective of how do we get them to focus on the kind of ring, right? Not just the ring. That's a perfectly good symbol of forever. But how do we get them to focus on the kind of ring? So this is the shift in perspective that they're looking for moment of truth. This truth statement comes in with this statement that most people would agree is literally true that a diamond is forever. It's a very hard substance, very difficult to destroy. They last a really long time, but see what happens because people believe that to be true. Literally they could validate it for themselves. They're like, that's true. A diamond is forever. See what happens. You remember it puts what they want, the best symbol in jeopardy, as long as they're only, as long as they continue to look at things the way they were before, which is only look at the ring itself, not the stone. Because by doing that, they're now passing up on the chance to have a forever, forever ring, right? Because they could have a ring, you know, the circle of metal plus a forever diamond, and they could like totally double down on that, which means if they don't pay attention to the kind of ring, they're not going to have what they want, which is right. the best symbol. So I know that's a long explanation of that, but that's that third piece. And then from there, it actually you know, kind of rolls pretty quickly because that moment of truth forces a choice about what you're going to do. And ideally what that leads to is a change in thinking or behavior, right? So Harry leans into his magical self, goes, yeah, I totally am going to believe this mirror and I'm going to put this sorcerer's stone in my own pocket through the mirror. Um and that's going to happen in your audience too. So diamonds are forever. People like, they don't even realize it, but it shifted the thinking to say, well, the best symbol is now a diamond ring, right? The last piece are the actions. So it's goal, problem, truth, change, actions. And actions are what you would think. They're the actions that you take to create that change. Right. So that's the quick tour of the red thread. So for when, when speakers are thinking about, especially like that last step of the process, the action, 
is it always, does it always need to be some type of you need to leave and this is your next step or are some talks or a red thread, big ideas meant to be more, yeah, just, I, I just want you to think about this or yeah. here's some more like theoretical, you know, cause you, I'm, I'm thinking about like books, for example, like some books you read are very like, okay, do these six steps, you know, and yeah. go implement da, 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 da. And some of them are just more, here's some, uh, not necessarily woo woo, but just more like theories, some more ideas. And it's not necessarily super actionable, but just to get you to think differently, or maybe, maybe look at things differently, uh, or just some, some new concepts just to kind of introduce. So should it always be something that's practical, actionable? Here's your next one, two, three things. Uh, it does not have to be prescriptive. What it does need is to be specific enough and concrete enough that, that the, it makes the change, the thing that you're asking for people to make real. So that means, and I spent some time on this in the book, that means that actions can be qualities of a successful change. So for instance, one of the ways, you know, one of my talks, one of the ways that I describe a successful message, which is a successful red thread, is that it has four qualities, that it, it needs to be relevant, it needs to be resilient, it needs to be remarkable, it needs to be repeatable. Um, and so those are my actions, right? But by describing what that is, how to get there, et cetera, like I'm not saying in every case, like step one, go do this, but we are saying, Hey, these are the things to evaluate your idea against, like, does it meet these criteria? So it doesn't always have to be there, but people, so, you know, the change gives people closure on this mental conflict, right? The, 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 the truth creates this moment where they're like, oh my gosh, like I have to do something different if I want to, if I want the thing that I want. And so that change creates closure, closure. But in order for someone to feel really confident that they can make that change, they have to really, it has to be concrete for them. So as long as whatever you're talking about gives them that, like, and it can, and then what I talk about in the book are really four kinds of actions. One is a process, which is very prescriptive. Do X and then Y, then Z. Um, components, which are elements. So, you know, you can have, you know, the example I give in the book is like when I was a Weight Watcher leader, that program had three components. There was a, a food component, a mindset component, an activity component. It didn't say do these three in these order, but basically said we have to have these are the elements that have to be there in order for achieving your health goals to be successful. Um, and then the other two are what I call um, criteria, which are the qualities so that that remarkable, repeatable, resilient, relevant piece would be part of that. Um, and then, of course, I'm thinking of <laughs> what are they process components? Um criteria. And oh my gosh, I'm like totally spacing on my last one there. Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect tease for the book. This is what it I is a perfect tease. It. You have okay. to look it up to see what it actually is. Um, why am I not remembering this? This is, that's embarrassing because I know this completely like the back of my hand, but it's the end of a day. And that's the issue. Um, You're good. People need, to, people need to pick up the yeah, book. The book great. is called find your red thread, make your big ideas irresistible. Uh, That's the right. book is out everywhere now. Uh, when, and so definitely, definitely people need to, uh, need to check out the book. That's right. Exactly. Check it out and <laughs> figure out what the one is that I like. Oh, category. That's the last one. Dang. <laughs> so category is just, the, and this is, this is probably the most, the most kind of big idea. Just think about this thing because a category action or here are the different places this change can be applied. 
right? So you can say, we need to make this change. And to borrow from our mutual friend, Neen, you can say, and this is what it looks like at the personal level. This is what it looks like at the global level. Um, I put like, this is the, this is um, local level, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's got like these three different levels and here's how it looks in each of those. And so, yeah, but just by giving people those details, even though in that case, it's not a prescriptive thing to do, it helps people go, oh, I understand what you're asking me to do. And now I have a better sense of what that's going to look like in my own life. All right. Sorry. I had to get that across because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't like not talk about one of my elements. Sorry. But again, I would encourage everyone to go check out the book. The book is Find Your Red Thread. Uh, Tamson, we really appreciate the time. You always uh, have such great insights and thoughts. Uh, I know this book is going to make a lot of a big difference for a lot of speakers. So if people want to find out more about you and the book and, and what you're up to, where can we go? Uh, I think best place for the book is redthreadbook.com, which will redirect you to my main site, which is tamsonwebster.com. Uh, I'm literally the only Tamsin Webster in the universe, so I'm not hard to find. So yeah, website has all things Tamsin. Awesome. Thanks, Tamsin. We appreciate it. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. And again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.